Revelation chapter 11, I love those old hymns. I love older music, new music. I love the mix that we do here at times. I think you're going to be blessed by this year's uh, Easter cantata. Uh, I'll brag on the minister of music. I guess I better, huh? Uh, she did a good job. I was listening to that this past week, thinking about that. And she's got some a good mix in there. Great uh, older stuff and some new stuff. I think you'll be blessed by There's especially a new song at the end. It's a real blessing to me. In fact, I came down. I was just down here worshiping, singing it one day uh, by myself in the Lord. And uh, I think you'll be blessed by the, uh, the music this, uh, this Easter. Revelation chapter 11, please. And we come to the halfway point. Some of you thought we'd never get there, but here we are. And uh, God willing, we'll be at the ending point before you know it. I said that before summer, I actually went back and looked with the calendar and everything. It'll probably be the first part of summer. Uh, we'll be done with this book. But anyway, we'll get done when we're done, right? And uh, we're looking this morning at Revelation chapter 11. And so you're turning there as I was preparing uh, the message this past week. A song came to my memory. And uh, to be quite honest, that happens to me quite frequently uh, in the course of day-to-day life. A word or a phrase is mentioned. And my mind, for some reason, is kind of like a jukebox. A lot of you know what that is. Some of the younger ones don't know what a jukebox is. But uh, kind of like a jukebox. And I hear that word. I hear that phrase. And like a jukebox, it goes and it grabs a record. It puts it down. It starts to play. And I start to sing. And uh, you can ask my wife. In fact, you might want to pray for her about this issue uh, that we have. Because it can be any word or phrase you can imagine. And my mind will go and get the record and I'll begin to uh, sing. And it's not always sacred music. Uh, but anyway, today it's a sacred song. And it's a wonderful hymn, a wonderful gospel song we used to sing in the church uh, where I grew up. In fact, let me read the words to you. Maybe you know it. Um, Let me read the words. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry over the future for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him for he knows what is ahead. Every step is getting brighter as the golden stairs I climb. Every burden's getting lighter. Every cloud is silver lined. There the sun is always shining. There no tear will dim the eye. At the ending of the rainbow where the mountains touch the sky. I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty. But the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. And the path that is my portion may be through the flame or flood, but his presence goes before me and I'm covered with this blood. And the chorus goes many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. I felt that way quite a bit as we've been studying through this last book of the Bible. And while we're studying about the the tomorrow and the future and the end, there are still so many things we don't understand. In fact, if truth be known, we may have more questions now than before we even started this study. But you know what? I'm okay with that. And the longer I live... And the more I study, the more I'm at peace with not knowing some things. Why? Because I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. It's enough that he knows. Amen. It's enough that he knows. Now, I say all that as a way of testimony 
and also as an introduction to a very challenging chapter here in Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. In fact, the Greek scholar Henry Alford described this chapter, and I quote, as one of the most difficult in the whole apocalypse, end quote. Well, I thought well, that's encouraging. You know, the Greek scholars, so this, is the, this is one of the hardest ones that uh, you'll find. If you read the commentators, if you read as much as I do, preparing for these messages, uh, you'll find them disagreeing with each other at times. Uh, and to be honest with you, we, we can't untangle everything uh, today, but I think we can find enough truth to chew on for a while and keep us busy and to bless us. And so I'm going to center our thoughts this morning around two reminders and two takeaways. So you don't get a standard three point message today. We get two reminders and then two takeaway truths for you to, to take with you. So find Revelation chapter 11 and we'll begin reading there at verse one. And I'm going to read. I want you to follow along in your Bible and we'll read the entire chapter. Then we'll come back and talk about two reminders and two takeaways today. Revelation chapter 11, verse one. Then John writes, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. Seven thousand people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying we give you thanks O Lord God Almighty. 
The one who is and who was and who is to come because you've taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come and the the time of the dead that they should be judged. That you should reward your servants and prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hell. Now, Father, bless your word to our hearts. Open it up to us. Help us to rightly divide that word of truth and respond in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to remember where we are in our study. We're in the tribulation time. We're in between the sounding of the sixth trumpet judgment and the seventh trumpet judgment. Sounding. And in fact, the seventh trumpet will sound in this passage, as you saw there at verse 15. So we're kind of in between uh, the sixth and seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is about to sound. And we're in a parenthesis. We're in an interlude. Time is suspended in a sense as far as the actions concerned. And John is given some more information concerning what is coming. Now, remember in chapter 10, he had this little book and he ate the little book and it was sweet in his mouth. And it was sour on his stomach. And then he was told at the end of chapter 10 that he must prophesy again to many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Then you come to chapter 11 and in the opening verses, he's told something else to do. He's told to go and measure the temple of God, to measure the altar and to measure the worshipers. But leave out the outer court. Don't measure it because the Gentiles will tread upon it for 42 months or three and a half years. Now, beloved, since all the temples at this time John is writing have been destroyed, this is obviously a future temple that's mentioned here. The Bible, both here and also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, indicate that there will be a future temple uh, that's going to be built. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. Notice the next part. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So as we understand the Bible, there's going to be a future temple built, perhaps in the first part of the tribulation time. But I understand that there is work going on even today. To rebuild the temple in a sense. There's an organization called the Temple Institute. In fact, you can go and visit there if you're a a traveler. Uh, You can also visit them online. When you've been to Jerusalem, anybody ever been to the Temple Institute? I'm just curious. All right, well, listen to what I found on their webpage. It says the Temple Institute is dedicated to every aspect of the Holy Temple of Jerusalem. And the central role it fulfilled and will once again fulfill... In the spiritual well-being of both Israel and all the nations of the world. Now listen, the Institute's work touches upon the history of the Holy Temple's past, an understanding of the present day, and the divine promise of Israel's future. Now listen to the next sentence carefully, next couple of sentences. The Institute's activities include education, okay, research, all right, and development. The Temple Institute's ultimate goal is to see Israel 
rebuild the holy temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem in accord with the biblical commands. And they're getting stuff ready to use in the temple. And so we see that there's going to be a future temple. If we're understanding Revelation 11 right, if we're understanding 2 Thessalonians right, there's going to be a future temple. And we believe that's the one that John's told to measure here. Now, we're not told why he's he's supposed to measure it. Uh, Some scholars mention that when things are measured in the Bible, it's done to show ownership, it's done to show possession, it's, it's done to show judgment, it's done to show protection. But it is of interest to notice that John is told to measure not only the temple, but also the altar and the worshipers. And so there's going to be, I believe, a future temple and John is told to measure it. Now, we're doing a flyover, remember? We're not getting bogged down, so I'm just going to mention that to you and we're going to keep going. I don't want us to stall out here in the first two verses. But he's told to measure this future temple. And then we move to the two witnesses. And I'm going to give you two reminders from this passage today. And I want to go ahead and jump in to reminder number one as we come to these witnesses. And reminder number one is simply this. God always keeps a witness. God always keeps a witness. Now, we find these two witnesses in verses 3 through 14. And this is not the first time I've talked to you briefly about the two witnesses. We see them again today that they'll come. And they're going to be prophesying and witnessing. And I've told you time and time again that many people will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during this horrible time upon planet Earth, during the tribulation time. I shared this chart with you earlier in our study. It's where I mentioned the two witnesses before. How are people going to hear the gospel during the tribulation? Well, we think those 144,000, they're out witnessing, sharing the gospel. We have the two witnesses here in Revelation chapter 11. Their ministry seems to be centered right there in Jerusalem. And so you have the 144,000 going all over. You have the two witnesses here. We'll study about an angel who's going to preach the gospel in Revelation 14. And then there's that silent witness. And I told you the silent witness are all the materials that we'll leave behind. Bibles and gospel tracts and DVDs and CDs and books and all the things that people will probably find to be able to see and hear the gospel and hear about this time that we're living in. And many people are going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation time. Now, these two witnesses specifically here, I want to mention to you, although we know how long they're going to uh, witness, 1260 days, which equals three and a half years. We're not sure when their ministry begins. It may be at the first part of the tribulation. It may be a little bit later. It may be in the middle. We're not sure exactly when, but we know how long they're going to witness. They're going to witness 1260 days or three and a half years. And so I want to answer three basic questions about these two witnesses. Who are they? What do they do? And what happens to them? I mean, that's who, what, you know, pretty, pretty easy stuff on that regard. But let's jump, jump in here and see. First of all, who are they? Well, in the words of my almost two year old Graham, I don't know. I don't know who they are. A lot of paper has been used and a lot of ink has been spilled over the years to argue that this is so and so. And so some are convinced that this is Moses and Elijah. And some, no, it's not Moses and Elijah. It's Enoch and Elijah. Or it's somebody from the past. It's somebody we've already read about the Bible. The reality is, beloved, if God had wanted us to know, he could have told us. 
He could have said, Moses and Elijah are coming, or Enoch and Elijah are coming, or whoever it is. But he didn't tell us. And I'd like to interject in this study, beloved. It does not have to be someone from the past. He can raise up two new witnesses. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And although many things they do are similar to what we find Elijah and Moses and maybe others doing, God is perfectly able and capable to have somebody else do that. We don't know who they are. There's no use talking about it, really, because it's all conjecture. But we know there are two witnesses. We know how long they're going to witness. And we know they're empowered by God. Verse 3 says specifically, and I will give power to my two witnesses. Verse 4 alludes to it. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. It's the idea of the oil and it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe the Holy Spirit will be empowering them. We're also told there they're going to prophesy in verse 3, clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth there represents mourning. And they're probably mourning over the sin of those they're witnessing to. And so we have these two witnesses. They're empowered by God and they're clothed in sackcloth. We don't know exactly who they are, but they're God's witnesses. And he empowers them and he enables them. Well, let's talk about what they do next. What do they do? Well, they witness. They prophesy for twelve hundred and sixty days. I think the reason the days are mentioned there is because it means they'll be preaching every day. Twelve hundred sixty days. They'll be preaching the gospel. And it's interesting, these two witnesses are unlike us in that they have power to destroy their enemies with fire from their mouth. Now, I'm so glad we don't have that capability because none of us would be here. But they have the capability. Ever how that's going to work? I'm not sure. Some said, was there fire literally coming from their mouth? Or are they calling down fire? I, I don't know exactly. But it says specifically in verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth. I have no problem with fire shooting out of their mouth. Because that's what it says there. Fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These men cannot be harmed because God protects them. And God has enabled them to protect themselves through this fire. We find they also have power to shut up heaven. That is, they have power to cause drought. There'll be no rain. And that's why some say, well, that must be Elijah. That's what Elijah did. Well, he did do that, but it didn't have to be Elijah. God can empower somebody else. They have power to turn water into blood. That's why some say, well, it's going to be Moses. No, it could be somebody else. They have power to strike the earth with plagues. And so these two witnesses come on the scene. They're empowered by God. They're protected by God. They're doing the work of God. Those who oppose them can be destroyed. They will not be hindered in the work that they're going to do. And I want you to stay with me, beloved. I'm going somewhere with all this. But what happens to them? Well, first of all, I want you to notice they finish their ministry. Verse 7 says, when they finish their testimony. Not if, but when. They're going to finish their ministry. When they finish their ministry, they're going to finish their ministry. And then God allows the beast out of the bottomless pit to kill them. Verse number seven. And so they've testified, they've witnessed three and a half years, 1260 days. God allows the beast to kill them and their dead bodies are left out in the streets. And this wicked world rejoices over them and they act like it's Christmas time and they're sending gifts to one another 
and they're rejoicing and reveling. Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth who rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another. Imagine you can call 1-800 flowers and send the, the, two, the two witness death bouquet to your friend or whatever. I can picture my mind. It says, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And it says, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry. Uh, I can see here, beloved, people all over the world looking at their news channels and watching the reports. And I see them posting on Instagram and taking selfies with the dead bodies laying behind them. Why? Because they're rejoicing over these two prophets, these two that have come to share the gospel because they're dead. And wicked man rejoices. Over their death and makes merry over their death and uh, sends gifts to one another over their death. And then the unthinkable happens, at least unthinkable to those rejoicing over the demise of these two witnesses. They get up. They're resurrected. I love boy. I won't be here. I'll be in heaven. Praise the Lord of the Lord. But I, I sure would say, Lord, you let's have a peek of that. I'd love to see that. You know, maybe they're, and we're here tonight with CNN and we've got the two dead witnesses. And just see them pop up. <laughs> just see them pop up. Verse 11. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. And look what happens. And great fear fell on those. Who saw them. They are resurrected. Not only are they resurrected, they're also raptured. Verse 12. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. And this brings great destruction upon the earth. Verse 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake. Tenth of the city fell and the earthquake. Seven thousand people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And the question is, when it says they gave glory, does that mean they got saved or they're just afraid or what? I think both. I think there were those there who were just afraid and say, you know, God did this. But I think that even through this, there probably are those who truly gave glory to God and the fact that they got saved. Now, what's the big idea behind all this? What is the big idea? It's this. God always keeps a witness. God always keeps a witness. Now, I want you to see the heart of God here. I don't want you to miss it in the midst of all the details. Even in judgment, he's ensuring that people have an opportunity to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These witnesses are here prophesying, sharing the gospel, sharing the message of God, inviting people to Jesus Christ. And I want you to see the heart of God. I told you before, we see the heart of God in the midst of judgment. He remembers mercy. He's got the 144,000 out witnessing. He's got the two witnesses witnessing. He's going to have an angel witnessing. He has all the material we've left behind. He's got Bibles and all those things that will be around. The heart of God is this, that people might repent and come to the truth of the knowledge of the Savior. And so we understand that God always keeps a witness. There's never a time where there's not a witness. You know, Elijah, we talked about Elijah. Elijah thought, I'm the only one. He said, no, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got more. I've got thousands you don't know about. God always keeps a witness. But there's a second reminder, beloved, and that's this. God will accomplish his plan. God will accomplish his plan. We come to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet begins here. It will continue on going. It will ultimately result in the bowl judgments. I talked to you about the three judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. We studied the seals and the seventh seal was opened. It, 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 it had the seven trumpets. Then with the seventh trumpet sounds, it includes the seven bowl judgments and also much more. 
But as the trumpet is sounded, the seventh trumpet, there is a great celebration in heaven. I want you to look at it with me. It says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. You heard that phrase before. And he shall reign forever. And that's Handel's Messiah where that came from. The 24 elders have seen them before they fall down worshiping. They praise God. They talk about the judgment. And they talk about also the rewarding of the saints. Now, here's what I want you to understand. While it seems that everything's out of control in this present evil world, while it seems everything's out of control in the coming tribulation time, God is in complete control. And he will accomplish his plan. And no power of hell or power of man can stop him. No one can stay his hand and say, what doest thou? Satan and his hosts are defeated, folks. They're defeated. And we know that God will accomplish his plan. And beloved, did you notice he not only judges the world, he rewards those who are his. And then we have verse 19. The temple of God in heaven is open. And so we're not in the earthly temple and there's the Ark of the Covenant. You remember that piece of furniture back in the tabernacle and in the temples. And the Ark of the Covenant speaks of God's protection and God's presence. And so here you have John and those reading this being reminded. Verse 19, that the temple of God was open in heaven and the Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hell. And so we have, beloved, two reminders today. We must always remember that God always keeps a witness and God will accomplish his plan. That's your two reminders. Now, quickly, your two takeaways, your two takeaways. I want to talk, first of all, to those of us who already know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian today, I want to talk to you first. Here's your takeaway. When it comes to the future, relax. God is in control. Relax. God is in control. And I mean that in the most literal way I can. Relax. God's in control. We don't have to fret. We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We don't have to panic. We don't have to understand everything. We can relax knowing that God is in complete and total control. We can just trust God and relax. Now, I don't mean get lazy. We should still be living for God and witnessing for God and serving God. But what I mean is we can really relax and truly relax and enjoy God's blessings, knowing that he is in complete control. There is a joy and there is a peace when you truly trust the Lord. Just relax in the Lord or rest in the Lord. Let me ask you, Christian, listen, listen. Does that describe you this morning? Can you really say this morning, I'm relaxed in the Lord? Or put it another way, I'm resting in the Lord. I have peace in the Lord. Are you trusting the Lord? Have you given it to the Lord? Now, beloved, that's a good word. Relax. God is in control. That's a needed word. And by the way, that's true not only for eternity and not only for the tribulation time and not only for the end times. That's true for tomorrow. And that's true this afternoon. And that's true next week. And that's true next month. And that's true today. Relax. God is in control. Now, beloved, as believers, we can truly relax, trust and rest in Jesus, knowing that God is in control. Why? Because we know he holds tomorrow and he holds our hand. Relax. God's in control. And that was worth coming to church for this morning. 
That was worth getting up out of bed this morning. That was worth putting your clothes on and get yourself looking presentable and coming in that pew to hear that believer. Relax. God is in control. God had to minister to my own heart this past week. Just to say, you know what? God's are in control. You're in control. But that's only true for those who know Jesus. That's only true for those who know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, there's no room for relaxing. There's no room for relaxing. Your takeaway from all of this is this. Repent. God's wrath is real. Repent. God's wrath is real. If you don't know Jesus today, beloved, repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent. There's a change of mind which leads to a change of direction. It's saying, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm bound in sin. I don't want my sin. I want to turn from my sin and place my faith in Jesus and follow Him as my Savior, my Lord. We've seen it time and time again. We're halfway through the book. We're halfway through the study. And judgment is coming. And God's wrath is real. There's no time to lose. There's no time to waste. Run to the cross and cling to Jesus Christ. Call upon Him today. Take Him as your Savior. Tell Him you know you're a sinner. But you believe Jesus died for you. And He shed His precious blood for you. And that He was buried and He rose again for you. And you believe on Him and you trust Him. And you want Him as your Savior and Lord. If you'll call upon Him, He will. You see, if you'll repent, then you can relax. (laughs) Can I say that again? If you repent, then you can relax. When you know that you have peace with God, then you can have the peace of God. Repent, and then you can relax. If you know the Lord Jesus, you can rest in knowing that God has everything under control. You don't have to fear the future. God's already there. You know He holds tomorrow and He holds your hand. And so I wonder today, beloved, as you look at those two takeaways, which one applies to you? Can you honestly and truthfully relax today knowing that God is in control? Do you need to repent? Because you understand today that God's wrath is real. Beloved, God always keeps a witness how gracious he is in that. God will accomplish his plan. He is sovereign. His will will be done. Therefore, Christian, you can relax. Because God's in control. And sinner, listen, you can repent. You understand God's wrath is real, but so is his grace and his mercy and his love. And he will receive you if you receive him by faith. Our Father and our God, I thank you for the truth that we have covered this morning. And I pray, Lord, you administer to our hearts. I thank you that you always keep a witness and your will and your plan will be accomplished. Now, Father, I pray for each one that's listening to the sound of my voice. If there's anyone here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray your Holy Spirit to convict their heart, show them their need, and then show them Christ, his love, his mercy, his sacrifice, his death, burial and resurrection. That they'll turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then for my brothers and sisters in Christ who've already repented. Lord, would you help them to relax and rest in you. Knowing that you are in control. Not only of tomorrow, but right now. This afternoon. Today. This week. May we rest in Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.
Our closing song as the ladies move to the instruments is number 52. He leadeth me. The invitation is twofold today. Number one, if you need to be saved, if you'll come, here's what we'll do. If you need to be saved today, I'm going to be down front. I'd love to receive you, shake your hand and put you with someone who will simply take a Bible and share Jesus with you. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to point you out. We'll just simply take a Bible, sit on the front row and share Christ with you and lead you to the cross and help you and give you some material to help you grow and start your journey with the Lord. But I think there are a lot of believers here today who maybe need this as much as I needed this. Maybe you need to relax in the Lord and rest in the Lord. Maybe you need to come to this altar this morning and roll some things off and say, Lord, I rest in you. You're in charge of the future. I know you're in complete control and I rest. I relax. I relinquish that to you. I would invite you to come today as we sing. So it's real clear. If you need to be saved, come. I'll be down front. If you need to come, believer, and pray today, you come. 52 less standard sing. He leadeth me.